Blog Talk Radio. You're not responsible. It was wrong. Reach out to me. We'll connect you. I will never see, speak, or hear from Aaron Smith Levin for the rest of my life. I've been raised since the age of four to follow orders, do as I was told, or risk losing everything. If we speak out, that's the only way they're going to get the strength to have the courage to do the same. What the hell? Someone has to escape. Get out of a religion. I'm so shocked by the evil. This is pure evil at work. Hello and welcome to Come Get Some Extra Scientology Edition. This is going to be part two with Danny Ballou. I'm sorry it's late. If the sound sounds a little weird and awkward, I'm in a big open room on my laptop and headphones. Uh, doing a break at my work right now just so I can get this out for you guys tonight because uh, it's a little bit late. Well, you can follow me on, on uh, Twitter under Miami6Man. You can follow the show under CGS underscore extra. There is a, a website, comegetsome.com, and, of course, the YouTube channel. Now, I've been doing the YouTube channel, uh, CGS here, or you can just look up Come Get Some Extra, look up my name, uh, there's another YouTube channel uh, that's doing pretty well. I'm not going to complain about it because I just want these these uh, interviews, these stories, these messages, these people's experiences to reach as many people as possible to make the biggest impact possible. So they can carry on and do what they're doing, but mine is actually the Come Get Some channel. And I've been wanting to do my podcast a little bit different when I transfer onto YouTube where I put pop-up videos and messages, and I think I can add them later, too, through YouTube uh, editing, a little bit different than what I'm doing, but it might be something I can do later as a project, and uh, just for fun. Uh, but right now, I'm starting to just put the side-by-side picture up, just so I can get these transferred to YouTube as quickly as possible, because I'm getting a lot of requests for just ease of use. People aren't really worried about all the extra stuff, but there's a little bit better ease of use for some people on YouTube. And right now what I got over there, of course, I have the one with Leah Remini I started out with. I put my very first Scientology interview with Kathy Shankleberg from Squeeze My Cans. Uh, check it out, squeezemycans.com. And I start now in sequential order. So the first one I put up there, I have uh, three new ones up now. Uh, the first two parts of Chris Shelton after the aftermath. The, the first two parts, uh, the two parts of Burt Leahy, who was Squirrel Buster for a couple of days. And two parts uh, of the very deep and, and very important uh, conversation I had with Nora Crest about why you can't be gay in Scientology. Check them out if you can, if you haven't already. Or if you just didn't like how they sounded here, I did do a little work tweaking the audio. Sounds better with headphones, uh, but I did my best. Uh, so I'll be doing them chunks at a time over the next few months. Hopefully get them out very quickly for you and try to catch up to modern day most recent podcast. I also would like to congratulate Mike Rinder, Leo Remini, all the A&E folks, and anyone involved in contributing to the Aftermath shows, uh, that Scientology in the Aftermath, Leo Remini Scientology in the Aftermath, is up for its second Emmy Award, and I uh, couldn't be happier for you guys. You all deserve it. Uh, it's not about winning awards. It's about being heard. It was proven last year when the Emmy was won that you've been heard. And even just in the nomination, and if you do win, it shows you continue to be heard, and you'll be continue to be heard from this point forward, even some of the other religions that are struggling with the same things that ex-Scientologists do and the same abuses. 
uh, it's all being looked at now, and it all needs to be taken into account and accountability. So without further ado, uh, I don't know when my next show is going to be or how long it's going to be. Uh, it's a busy summer. I do have some interviews planned. I'm trying to line up and get scheduled. Uh, but we'll come back, circle back around, talk about this again soon. Keep checking back with me for now. Uh, here's a very, very important part two to my conversation with Danny Bobo. Uh, I was going to say, you hear a lot of stories of a lot of locations like this. Uh, depending on time frame, depending on the person, depending on the, uh, on the location, all these factors, um, often they've been abused or they knew someone who was. Were you aware of any kind of abusive or illegal thing taking place in that location? Do you mean sexual abuse or physical? Any. Um, I, there was definitely physical um, going on. Like there were people that would lose their temper with children um, and be too rough with them. Um, I was not aware of any molestation or sexual abuse happening while I was there at the ATA. Um, I was very sad to hear that it did happen, and I, I hope it wasn't while I was there and that I missed something because I can tell you that even in my you know, somewhat, I don't want to say brainwashed, but my, in my state, I, I know that I would not have tolerated that. I would have... I wrote, I wrote knowledge reports too on people. <laughs> so if I saw anything that looked like, you know, for example, a man was trying to get a child alone in a situation, that would have raised my hackles because I had been molested. And because, because my own children were there, I absolutely would not have looked the other way if something like that came to my attention. It seems to me that if you had written a knowledge report that someone was trying to get a kid alone, that you would have ended up in a uh, in a sec check for writing that report based on what I've heard. It's from possible. It's possible. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I was, I, was, I, I was sent to ethics sometimes for writing reports about how my own children were being treated. And you were just looking out. You weren't doing anything bad. The the the, um, the viewpoint on that happening was if I'm writing a knowledge report on someone about how my children are being treated, then um, there's, I must have done something wrong. I must have my own secrets and, and overs and withholds that need such, to be addressed. Um, pardon my bluntness, but that's such bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> Absolutely. I can tell you one story because um, my kids did eventually get to the ranch where um, I didn't, I just did not allow it. I didn't go to ethics. I, I, I fought it because it was, it was a very simple cut and dry situation where I had bought winter coats for my daughters and I went to, to visit them on a Sunday and I saw some other kid wearing this coat that I had just bought two weeks prior and asked my daughter and she just kind of looked at the ground and I had to dig, but I found out that, you know, there was bullying happening and this kid, you know, bullied her and took her coat. Um, so I went and got her coat back and then I wrote a report. Um, like why, why doesn't my daughter feel like she could go to an adult about her coat being stolen? Like what's going on there? This isn't right. You know, 
it's just not right. Like you guys are supposed to be the adults there and, and the people in charge. Like, for example, back at Pack Base, if I'm in a dorm and somebody in my dorm were to steal something of, that belonged to me, they would get in a lot of trouble for that. So from my point of view, there's, it's absolutely not okay that stealing is happening. Right. And um, so whoever was in charge of the, of the ranch at the time, I can't remember his name, um, he wrote his, his replying knowledge report on me and, you know, demanding that I be sent to ethics. And I fought it. I was like, no, this is ridiculous. You can't just, you know, point the finger back at me. This is a really, like, simple situation. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Seems pretty straightforward yeah. to me. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, I, I, know, I know you mentioned this sort of passing, uh, passingly in the last uh, couple of sentences here. Um, I only want to talk about this if, if you want to talk about this, you mentioned uh, that you were molested. Um, was that while in Scientology, or would you rather not go to that topic? Yeah, I'd like to skip it for now, actually. Okay. If that's all right. No, no, it's, it's uh, what you're comfortable with. We don't have to talk about it. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, I can tell you that it did happen, and, and Scientology did happen in New York City um, at the Sea Org, but that's all I'm going to say right now. Okay. All right. Let me let me let me just for a second just take it back to that that passage in Dianetics. Does that influence any opinion on that for you? I, I don't want to try to steer this towards Scientology wants people to be pedophiles. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think everyone in Scientology is running around trying to molest people, but. Do you think that kind of enables that thought process or the excuse of that thought process? When I think about that passage um, that you're referring to about um, the little girl who shudders, mm -hmm. um, for me and my knowledge and my experience, what it, what it means to me is the entire idea that there aren't children and the entire idea that we're all, um, you know, millions of years old and these are just bodies um, and that it, it softens it. It's, I think it softens the whole, there must be something going on between these two Satans that could be addressed with auditing or we could dig down and find out like maybe they had a relationship in a past life or something like that. Um, I think it leaves a yeah. lot to 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 get people off the hook. I think it's a big excuse for a lot of people for a lot of things. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and for you know, like even my own mother told me once that we were married in a past life. And wow. Like, what do you? <laughs> how, okay. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Um, <laughs> Oh like, number God. one, she, she, she's not supposed to do that. Like, you're not supposed to tell people that you knew them in past life. Um, like, I don't know what her purpose or reason was for telling me that. Oh. But it might have been just because we were fighting at the time, and she was trying to point out that, you know, hey, we're not actually mother and daughter. We've had other relationships before, and that's why you're not listening to me right now, you know, kind of thing. 
Um, but yeah, to go back to that that whole passage being an excuse. Um, I was never in a situation where I felt like somebody was using it as an excuse, but I was in situations where I felt like it was an explanation. Right. Like a, a Scientology Dianetics explanation of why this possibly happened. Um, and again, you know, human emotion and reaction is a negative. So to express as a kid that you feel um, unsafe or damaged in some way because it's happened to you, that's not acceptable. You know, you need to just go get into present time, do some auditing, do some assists, and get over it and move on. Because, my God, you're millions of years old. You've been, you know, murdered and raped and all these other horrible things have happened to you, and it's, it's cool. Just move on. Keep going forward. Um, that's, that's the attitude that I got. Okay, so it's interesting because I think, I think there's hundreds and thousands of policies and things that, that L. Ron Hubbard wrote and things that have been added since, and all these things can be summarized in this one paragraph about the seven-year-old shuddering. And I mean everything from it's your fault, you pulled it in, um, car accident, stolen jacket. Everything comes back to this one passage to me. And it's interesting how you can summarize it right there. It just says so much in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Let's get back uh, back to ATA. So did this come to a head? Did you have to leave because of the conflict over um, over how you were being called mom, or, or what happened there? Um, I certainly wasn't popular because of that right. <laughs> with a couple of people. Um, I enjoyed the favor, for lack of a better way of describing it, um, of the of the CEO, the commanding officer. Um, at that time, uh, we were friends. And, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. I'm trying not to get into too long of a story about it, but um, a little boy was very badly injured. Um, He was, the the roof of the ATA was flat and balls and toys would get stuck up there. So some of the boys, some of the kids um, would go up on the roof to get a ball down or whatever. And this kid tried to um, jump from the roof to the tree and missed and was badly hurt. So um, without going to that whole story, because that's an hour, um, (laughs) that brought in an investigation because the child was hurt and had to go to the hospital. And, you know, that all has to be explained and there isn't any health insurance. So it's just a big, bad PR situation, like very bad. So there was an investigation, and when there's an investigation, everybody is scrutinized under the microscope and have to um, get on the e-meter. And um, so the the CEO, the commanding officer, was removed from her post um, for reasons I won't get into right now. And um, everybody was, like I said, scrutinized. So in my life history, when I joined the Sea Org, I had written down accurately that I had once had an abortion 
and that was used against me, and, and I was removed because of that. Wow. Because that is considered a crime on the second dynamic. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't funny. I, I'm just, it's the... No, no it is. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. I, right. I was completely floored and, uh, and hysterically crying. Like, I don't understand. You knew this when you let me have this job. And I have four children. Clearly, I love children. And, but there was no getting around it. I was out of there. So, um, so then that put me into a new situation where I wasn't seeing my children all day, every day that I had to adjust to. Um, and that would probably be the time that my, my own children feel was the darkest for them there. Were they treated differently because of, because of what happened with um, you? I don't know that they were treated differently, but, um, they were definitely, um, I just wasn't there. So if something was happening you know, during their day, I wasn't there to mitigate it or make it better or you know, handle it in some way like I was. Like I could, I was, I was there. So if they're getting bullied or they have a problem or some, they're upset about something, they could see me and talk to me about it every day. And now we're only seeing each other um, on the weekends or if I could go over there at dinner time. Um, I would pop into their dorms at night and, you know, give them a good night kiss while they were sleeping. And, you know, my daughter actually recently reminded me of something because I was expressing um, how badly I feel about that time. And uh, her reaction that I did not expect was, she's like, you did so much more than so many other kids had. Like, and and who knows? And I'm not saying that those kids' parents didn't care; they weren't trying, but they didn't. Put, maybe they didn't have the opportunity. There were there were kids there who hadn't seen their parents in years because they're off on a mission or on the RPS or whatever. Um, so she just said, you know, I would wake up sometimes in the morning and remember that you had stopped in to give me a hug and a kiss and find a tiger's mofar under my pillow, and you know, so. I didn't remember. I actually didn't remember that that I that she and for her to remember that, um, yeah. it was it was just kind of a big thing, you know, between us. I started crying. <laughs> I, I imagine, crying. yeah. You know, I you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm one number one. I'm glad you remember that I was able to to do those little kindnesses when whenever possible. But um, it also kind of brought it home, like those tiny little moments of being able to express parental love um, it hopefully meant something to them and it's also heartbreaking because so many other kids didn't even have that wow yeah yeah you know the uh, never thought about that the whole RPF thing like when someone's sent to the RPF it's not even a consideration that there are children who was going to see them next week won't see them next week. It's not even a right. thought. No. You know, even even Mike Render would tell you. You know, he um, he sent Miriam's mother away, never thinking, oh, she's got a daughter. It's not something that's even you would consider. 
Not at all. Is that the same thing with the PR? You mentioned PR a bunch. I know it's easy to mention now because we, we know that's kind of a thing. Was that a thing that was talked publicly and openly on site when you were a Scientologist? Was it like weighing whether you take this kid to a doctor and deal with the PR or find a way to help him here without resetting his arm with a real medical professional? Um, in that particular case, there was no question because it was a compound fracture. His bones were sticking out of his arm. He needed surgery. All right, so no one was going to tell you you can't take him to the doctor? No. Okay. That's good. No, in in That's fact, good. yeah, I, I was the one who took him to the hospital. And, um, yeah, there was there was no no question that he needed surgery. Um, I think in when it comes to the, the, your question about PR and things done to, to cover up situations with the children, um, I can think of times like, you know, some older kids, you know, teenagers decide to try to run away from the ranch. And they had the local, you know, it was rural, so I'm going to say sheriff, um, as a guest, I, I would imagine it's the sheriff in that area by the Canyon Oaks Ranch. Um, they basically built this, you know, they call it a shore story. They basically built this shore story that, the, that this is a ranch for troubled children. And so if those kids tried to run away, and they did, um, and the sheriff picked them up walking down the road, they would just bring them right back. And those kids could tell them, all the horrible things, like I'm not doing school, I'm not being fed properly, I'm being made to work 10 hours in the sun, and they wouldn't be listened to because they're just, you know, mm. these punk teenagers that are being wow. rehabilitated. So, of course, the sheriff's not going to listen to them. Wow. Um, which is really gross to think about for sure. Um, when it comes to kids getting hurt in medical care, they're – was a Scientologist doctor nearby for minor things. And um, that's where, you know, the kids would be brought if they had, like, a cut that needed stitches or an infection or something like that. Right. But, I mean, yeah. Wow. Let's talk about the, uh, about the PR. You know, you told, you told me earlier, I've never heard this before, but it doesn't surprise me that when people leave Scientology, sometimes the story given to people within Scientology is that they're dead. <laughs> is that what you told me? Yeah, I, I yeah, recently um, saw my mother, who I haven't seen in 18 years, and she, I don't know how we got the subject. I guess we were just sort of reminiscing about people her age because she's almost 70 um, and where they are now and are they still there and that kind of thing. So she was sort of listing off like, oh, this person died of cancer. There was a lot of cancer stories that I wasn't sure. Like, is that possible? Like, is this really the truth? There's quite um, a few real ones. Yeah, and and so she mentioned um, this man's name that I won't, I won't name him, um, but he's someone that I recently read a post on online, so he's very much alive, <laughs> and um, 
her story was, oh, yeah, he went gay, got AIDS, and died. And I'm just looking at her blinking, and I'm thinking, do I tell her that he's not dead? And I'm like, no, I'm just going to keep going with this. I'm like, just kept listing off people. What about this person? What about that person? Are they still around? And that was that one was the best. That was I, you, I he, feel he, like he, he went he went gay, got AIDS, and died. That um, statement sounds like something like a time machine back to the '80s. Like the assumption is, oh, he went gay and got the AIDS. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's how that happened. So, <laughs> so I have to believe that, that that what actually happened is that because he was a very well-respected Seerg member for many years that um, because he left in whatever capacity he left, and I don't know his story, um, that's the story, that's the rumor that went around to explain his absence. So do you think there's, do you think there's a psychology to the way that story is told? Because she's most likely paraphrasing Similar something she was told was, oh, well, this guy went into homosexuality, and you know what happens when you do homosexual things? You become AIDS-infected, and you die. Yeah. Oh, no. My mother's full of these kinds of stories. There's people that, um, you know, you've probably heard frequently this when people are trying to be talked into staying, like, you know, it's terrible out there. You're mm-hmm. going to flip burgers. You're going to you're going to be poor. You're going to be miserable. All these horrible things are going to happen to you. Um, it's not just to paint a picture of the outside world as being bad. It's also because you're leaving. You're doing something that is not in alignment with your purpose and what you should be doing, which is helping clear the planet. So if you go against that and make this selfish choice for your own personal happiness, you are going to pull in these bad things. Right. And so my mother would be full of these sorts of stories where, you know, somebody would leave and then, you know, she would say, you know, like, oh, yeah, I heard they got, you know, they got hit by a car or, um, you know, they got murdered, you know, or they're, oh, they're a druggie now. They're, yep, total druggie, overdose, dead. Like, okay. Hundreds, hundreds yeah. of stories like that from her. And for all I know, they're complete inventions of her own. Or these are rumors that she heard. I do not know. So I talked to Nora Kress, speaking of the whole homosexuality thing, since that was mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Um, I talked to Nora Kress about why you can't be gay in Scientology, the whole they want to audit the gay out of you. And then you hear from people within Scientology who deny that. Of course, Laura Prepon playing a lesbian on Orange is the New Black. Um, I'll just ask you flat out, um, exaggerated or absolutely terrible thing? Exaggerated as far as you can't be gay? Right. No, not, not exaggerated at all. It's one of the worst possible things you could express. Okay. And I, and I just learned recently, um, I believe you identify as bisexual. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to sound ignorant asking. (laughs) Some days. Some days. Is that how it works? Some days. Um, yeah, sure. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously I have children and I've been married, so Mm -hmm. I have to say, like, somewhere on the scale is bisexual, but um, I would probably call myself a lesbian. So was any of that heterosexual history, pardon me if this sounds ignorant, was any of that heterosexual activity influenced by the fact that you felt wrong not doing it that way? Um... I don't, I'll say I don't think so. Okay. Um, I, I know my marriage, my, my second marriage in the Sea Org in 1995, um, I now know for certain uh, was influenced by that, that I, I was trying to prove my heterosexuality by getting married. Um, because uh, during that time, I was terrified of being discovered because I was attracted to a woman I knew in the Sea Org. Um, who had gotten busted, is what we would call it, she got busted, um, for having come out in a confessional that um, she was attracted to women. And for me to have heard that through the rumor mill, or, you know, that's probably, I, I think in that particular case, I was told by someone on authority who would know, um, which is another subject, because you're not supposed to tell other people right. <laughs> what, what happens in confidential confessionals. Right. Um, they don't have a problem does. telling people if they want to. Yeah. <laughs> From what I've seen. Um, so I heard that. I knew that I was trying to ignore this attraction I had to this woman. And I was terrified of being discovered. Um, and I was also terrified about like myself. Like, I'm just going to stuff this down. Like, this is just some kind of weird aberration I need to ignore. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, I, I definitely rushed into that marriage. I think I knew the guy maybe a month when we got married. Um, I, I would say, especially in steward life, because you don't have a lot of time, knowing someone a month probably means I spent all of 10 hours with him. <laughs> and I God, laughed. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it wasn't so much trying to be straight as it was convince them that you weren't gay. And myself, yes. Or you are trying to just bury it. Okay. Wow. It's terrible. That is... It's not exaggerating. You hear so many things and people think, well, it's maybe a couple cases here and there. Like, you have your evangelicals in Christian religion who just won't tolerate it. It's just like that. But no, it it feels like the norm from what I'm hearing. Yeah, the... By that point... In my my Scientology life, I had already experienced um, knowing people who were gone overnight, gone overnight, gone because of that, because because they were gay, um, and I um, when I was so my fourth time back, which was in 1999, the shortest of all of <laughs> my attempts to be right. there. Um, I was in a situation with a young boy, I would say he was 16, who had joined the Sea Org. And, um, and cause you have to write up your whole sexual history and in very great detail. And, um, he had written in his sexual history, um, about having sort of fooled around with another boy and was immediately told you can't be here. We're sending you back to your parents. Wow. 
Um, and his reaction was that he was suicidal. And I, <clears throat> I spent um, the next 48 hours on watch with him and just walking with him and talking and listening. And as I was talking to him about why he still has value as a human being and please don't kill yourself. And so you can't be in the sea org. You know, there are other things you could do. Um, I, it kind of made me think about myself. Like I was talking to myself, like you're telling this person that he shouldn't kill himself because he might be gay because he, or, you know, I don't know. He may have just been experimenting. It doesn't matter to me either way. Um, so in that moment, I was started thinking about myself in that same context. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that there weren't a lo- whole lot of people besides me that even cared to address it and talk to him, like talk him down. They were only focused on how do we get him out of here and how do we get him back home and away from us because he's disgusting and aberrated, and he can't be here. PR nightmare, too. Oh, if he were to, right. to attempt suicide? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I've and I've seen over the years at, at Pack Base at least three people perched on the roof that, um, thankfully, I didn't see anybody jump, but three separate times that somebody was on the roof trying to jump. So, so we got that talked about there. Um, was this this time when you were removed? Because, and I want people to realize what they've been listening to in this interview during the course of this interview is a woman who knew a friend whose wife was coerced into abortion to stay in the Sea Org in the elite, and found out because she had an abortion that she was being told to go away. Is that about right? That is true. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't told that I had to go away. I was told that I could no longer work with children. Okay. I was given a different. I was given a different job. In a different organization. What does the abortion have to do with taking care of children six to ten years old? Um, it would be in the same category as being gay. Because it's an aberration, it's a crime against second dynamics, it's a crime against survival of normal, huh. um, correct, correct um, family. All right. Uh, the contradictions so. are maddening. Uh, uh, go ahead. What happened next? What happened next? Right. As far oh, um, I was put into another organization. You mean? Um, so I was doing that other job and I got married and plugged along for maybe another nine months and, um, didn't like what was happening with my children and decided to, to leave. Um, and because at that point, I believe at that point, yeah, my sons were at the ranch and my daughters were still at the ATA. So now 
my four children are not together. The boy, the boys are at the ranch. The girls are at the ATA. And um, I'm trying to think of how to put this. Um, because I knew I wanted to leave, and my children, I can't really talk to them about it because I don't know if one of them would go run and tell someone. Right. And there was definitely a precedent that I had seen where um, if, a, if a child is a cadet and on that precipice of being like 12, 13 years old had a parent that left a Sea Org, they would do whatever they could to keep that child by way of helping them emancipate or give them a different guardian. Um, so it could get very messy, and I didn't want it to get messy. So I just arranged, I basically um, created a false out PR situation with my father, with their grandfather, saying that um, they hadn't seen their grandparents for a couple of years, they need to go visit, and um, he would pay for the plane tickets. And um, so I had to go on a campaign to get permission to let my children go visit their grandparents because that's not my decision. That's their decision to let those, to let my kids go on, on, a, on a vacation. How do you not um, get to decide so, that? What's that? How do you not get to make that decision? Because I'm not in charge of them. They're, they have their own um, seniors, their own, like they're not, how do I put this? Um, <laughs> it's, there isn't really a sane way to describe it because it's not sane, but. Because <laughs> right. you no longer are their parent in a way. In a way, their parent is the people at the, at the ranch and the ATA. Well, yeah. I mean, that's our word, parent. Their word would be their Sierra members, too. And, you know, where they go, when they go is not up to me. It's up to their senior, the, pe- the people that are in charge of them. You kind of you so kind of sign I, them over. What's that? You kind of sign them over. Sign over responsibility. There's, not, there's no signing, but um, there's they're there to be groomed as future field members. They're cadets, so um, because you know, they're young example, adults, I, they're they're adults in little bodies. They are self-sufficient. Yeah. They're field members first. My, my children, second, maybe third, fourth. Um, so, for example, I could get a day off and want to spend the day with my children and, you know, go take them to the movies or something like that. But if they are not given permission by their senior to have the day off, then that's not going to happen. Okay. Okay. It's not, a, it's, it's not up to me. So I was able to get permission for them to go um, fly to, you know, back east to see their grandparents and um but I had secretly arranged with my father like he he knew that I was leaving and because I had to produce copies of round trip plane tickets in order to get this approval he had to purchase four round trip tickets knowing knowing that we weren't going to use the return flight um that's how awesome my my dad was he's passed now but um you know I I uh, was lucky before he passed to have really good conversations with him and express to him um, how amazing he was that he just every time we needed him, he was there. 
Good man. And, Good man. Um, and the amazing hope and patience and tolerance he must have had throughout my life when I was choosing to go back you know, several times and bring his grandchildren with me completely against his wishes and, and advice. Um, so anyway, he did that for us, and um, I waited until they were safely back there to announce that I wanted to leave. Wow. Okay. So this wasn't easy to get them out of there, huh? No, it was it was a it was a plan. <laughs> it was a right. plan. And um and then the months went on with me trying to leave the correct way and do my 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 routing out process of getting my um confessionals, my set checks done and eventually the summer went by and my father had purchased tickets for my husband and I because we were leaving together. Um, to come back as well and he had to keep changing the tickets because we weren't allowed to leave yet and finally he's, he said I'm not changing the tickets again it's almost time for the kids to start school you have to get here so we just ended up um, walking off walking off and going to the airport wow you know you hear about people having to escape from the in-base and, uh, you know, sometimes the Sea Org, but did you had to basically sneak your kids out of the ATA and of the ranch? That's amazing. Yeah, and I say we just walked off. I mean, it wasn't, like, quite that simple. Um, it was completely terrifying because, when you're in that situation, um, there there are certain things you could do or say that will get you put under watch, and you will literally be in a room that you can't get out of 24/7. Um, so, having you know grown up in it and knowing the ropes, I knew how to um, establish trust and 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 portray myself as not being a flight risk, basically. Right so that um, I wasn't going to be under watch and just kind of um, played along and waited for, you know, that moment. But every step of the way, I was terrified that security was going to come up behind me. So, yeah. Wow. So did anyone ever come looking? Anyone try to contact your dad over the years or try to contact you, try to contact your kids to bring them back? Um, that particular time, because I had, because I left the way that I did and I didn't want to leave that way and I, I did want to be in good standing, I, I just did a whole big write-up of why I did it and why I was sorry that I did it that way and all that kind of thing and I was not declared. Um, typically if you blow, you're going to get declared. Right. So, um... And my mother may have had some influence on me, on me not being declared. But um, my mindset at that time was still very much desperate to stay in good standing, desperate not to jeopardize my eternity and my chance at going up the bridge. So I did everything I could to, um, to you know, appeal 
to people to not declare me and to um, to be forgiving and understanding. So, and I think you know there might have been an element of well, there's four four children that they didn't have to feed anymore. <laughs> right, right. Not quite the same um, so, yeah, as a C word. So, yeah. So maybe maybe you know I wasn't. You know, I I what I mean I'm I wasn't like some big time executive or some super valuable person. Um, I don't you know I don't think that made my leaving such a big loss for them. Um, and that's part of why it wasn't a big deal. Okay. Now you've informed me as of this recording that you found out you were not a declared person. You have not been declared. SP. According to my mother, as of this moment, no, I have not been. But you are now faced with a situation, because I don't think you've been very outspoken previously, right? No, I mean, I've been, I've been online um, uh-huh. in um, the Aftermath group, Leah Remini's Aftermath group on, on Facebook, um, and you know, made comments on blogs and things like that, but I haven't um, done my own blog or published my story or anything like that. Okay, but you do realize you're in a situation where by speaking out, um, there may come a time sooner than later that you do get declared, and it may affect some personal relationships. So, why why are you speaking out today? Why 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 is this important to you other than I guess the obvious? Um so it's been eighteen years and I wanted and we we didn't actually get to the last time I was in the Sea but that's okay. Um I left for good in two thousand and at that time my children were teenagers. And my complete focus was um, rehabilitation, like saving our relationship and giving them a normal childhood, quote-unquote, um, for what childhood they had left. Right. And I was really scared all the time that um, somebody was going to find their way into their life or they were going to find their way back. Because um, I still wasn't sure if any of them still believed and and wanted to be there so I just kind of kept my head down and you know built my career kids all graduated high school thank goodness Um, two of them went into the military um, two have graduated college and um, and I just kind of wanted to move on with my life which I have done and uh, last year through Facebook, uh, my sister contacted my daughter and said, please tell Danielle that um, we're not in because I think she realized that I had not been in touch because I, I assumed that they were in, and I did. I, I, would, I assumed the entire 18 years that my whole fam- that side of the family was still in, and so I therefore didn't want anything to do with them. So I reconnected with my sister last year, and doing that and talking to her and my brother and catching up on everything that happened to them um, sort of opened the floodgates. So all of a sudden, after 18 years, I'm reading people's books 
like Leah's book, Jenna's book, and Mark Headley's book, and um, I had not watched Aftermath yet, and my sister and brother came to visit me here, and they said, well, let's watch it together, and um, so that's how it evolved, because I was perfectly fine, I guess the best word is pretending, um, that I don't need to be involved, but as soon as I saw the show um, and realized that, oh my God, people are speaking out, people are doing this, and I, I, can't, I can't describe it. Like, how, how does one spend 18 years not knowing that there are so many other people out there that went through a lot of the same things and feel the same way you do? Um, but I didn't know, and I, I just probably a small part of me felt like um, there was something really wrong with me for leaving and not believing in it anymore and being ashamed of that. So, um, yeah, Aftermath just was the key. And I'll well, see my brother and sister and then watching that show and then just talking to them about everything that happened to them in the last 18 years with the church. Um, so my feeling, seeing people that I know on Leah's show was, you know, I can't let them stand alone. I can't let them, I don't want people to look at them and hear their stories and think, well, these are exceptional stories. These are singular experiences. Um, the more of us that tell our story, the more hopefully the rest of the world realizes that this is, these are common things that happen to a lot of us. Yeah, you know, I've, I've spoken a few events at a few places online with some people who are ex-Scientologists who have not spoken out and many of them share the sentiment similar to what you just said that until they listened to stories on the aftermath until they've talked to other people personally who were there and went through it they kind of did feel it was them, it was something on them and seeing this was kind of opening the door to oh wait, I'm not imagining things, I'm not crazy this is what went on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely you guys don't stand alone, and it's amazing that you're speaking out. Um, was, was there something significant that happened? I, I forgot about that. You know, we spoke weeks ago. I forgot about that last time in the Sea War. What, what happened there, if you don't mind getting into that briefly? <laughs> or is that, that a long story? Um, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I'll try to make it um, as brief as I can. Um the, yeah, the last time was was the the most um, traumatic because um, my son, my younger son, um, was in the Sea Org at the age of fourteen, and so and it was just him. He he was you know he he joined. I gave him permission, and um, so he was on staff and. I started reading things online, and I think it was um, Operation Clambake, actually, that I had started reading online. So that was in 99, and um, late 99, and so in early 2000. Okay, so, we're, yeah, so I decided I was done, that it was all bullshit. Um, not just based on that website, but just a cumulative thing. And, um, and how do I get my son out? Like, how... 
how do you um, how do you get a 14 year old on board that what you just raised him in is wrong and now you just forget the whole thing and we're going to just leave now because that's not going to happen um, he's going to see me as an evil person who's um, gone off the rails and disconnect from me and I'm going to lose my son so I had to figure out um, how to get him out, basically. And so I hatched a plan with my um, older son that we were going to go pick him up on his day off on Sunday. Um, and as often happens, we showed up on Sunday morning and his day off had been canceled. So he only had a few hours. And um, so I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, at least we can go get breakfast because we drove all the way here from San Diego. And... Um, so he's like, yeah, and my older son is kind of pushing it a little bit because he's like, yeah, you should, um, you should grab some clothes. You know, mom could do your laundry and <laughs> trying to get him to to get stuff, which of course doesn't make sense for just hanging out for a few hours. So I'm like giving my older son this look, like, yo, forget it. Um, and I think that's because my oldest, my oldest knew that his brother would be upset to leave all his stuff behind. Um, on top on top of everything else. Um, so we got in the car to presumably go to breakfast, and of course we weren't going to breakfast. I headed straight for the um, the highway, and as soon as I got on the on ramp, my um, younger son started to fight. He was like, "Where are you taking me? Let me out! Let me out! What are you doing?" And my oldest son had to physically restrain him in the back seat while I'm driving um, from Los Angeles to San Diego. And when he calmed down enough, I told him how I felt and what was happening. And um, still not sure, like, the second we get to San Diego, if he was just going to run away and find his way back to Los Angeles. And as soon as we got, not as soon as, but shortly after we got home to San Diego, um, zero members started showing up. And I was telling them to leave, and I was going to call the police. And um, they went away, and then my mother showed up. And the traumatic part of this is that my mother um, asked to see him. She's like, well, I just want to make sure he's okay. Let me just talk to him for a minute. And so she talked me into it, and I brought him out. And the first thing she said to him was, um, just find your way out of here. We'll get you emancipated. I'll be your guardian. And... So then I started screaming at her, like, get off the property. I'm calling the cops. And it was this, this really horrible, horrible situation. Wow. Um, and part of my plan with all of that was that we were going to move far away from San Diego shortly after, which we did within a few days. And as soon as we got to the new house, they showed up there as well. Oh, my God. And I took great... I took very careful steps to not have anything in my email or what I, you know, basically so paranoid at that time that I assumed that they had complete access to my email and other things. Oh. Um, so I took, I went to great lengths to um, rent this place just by phone. So for them to have shown up there within a couple of days of arriving, I, I can only assume that, they did have access to my bank account or something. I still don't know. Yeah, they were definitely um, watching you or something. 
Yeah. Um, and then, then we went through another traumatic scenario where my kids were in the house and I'm telling these people to leave. Um, she stuck her foot in the door when I tried to close it. Mm. And, um, you know, so I basically said, you need to, if you don't move your fucking foot, I'm going to break it and get off the property and the sheriffs are on the way. And that's, that was the last, the last thing that happened in 2000. Um, which is why I'm surprised I'm not declared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, good for you making that stand. Yeah, uh, and I'm very happy to say that my son did not find his way back, and he wants nothing to do with it. Um, did it take a while? But for well, like I said, I you know I talked to him a few weeks ago, and he said he was angry with me and hated me for a, a good couple of years for doing that Um, and I mean he wasn't a bad kid he wasn't like an unruly teenager or anything like that Um, but I'll take it I'll take being hated for a few years for doing that if it means he's not in anymore and doesn't want to go back now so wow good good was there anything else that we missed I beg your pardon? Is there anything else that we missed? Is there something that I'm missing in the story here? Not that I can think of at the moment. Now, I really thank you, and I'm sure everyone else that's affected more directly by this will thank you for sharing uh, your story with us here. Um, At the end of every podcast interview, I do what's called 10 Questions. And basically, I just ask 10 (laughs) questions that are goofy or silly, sometimes thought-provoking. If you're not comfortable with one, you can just skip it. Okay. All right. So do I just uh, say do I just do I just say next really loud like next? No, no you just give your answer and I move on to the next question. <laughs> usually, okay. answer quick answer usually. If not, if you can't do it quick, you can't do it quick. It doesn't matter. I used to do think okay. fast, but I think it's it's never worked. So, <laughs> ten questions with Danny Baloo. Question number one. The combination of peanut butter and chocolate, yes or no? Yes. Yes, okay. Number two, which of these is more true? The truth hurts or the truth will set you free? Ooh. Uh, I'll say the truth will set you free. Yes, they're both kind of true, but that one's stronger for you. Okay. Number three. Uh, this is dangerous. Okay. True or false? Reality TV and politics are a perfect match. <laughs> true. You think it's true? Okay. All right. That's your opinion. Okay. <laughs> I think it's false, but we won't get into that. Number four. <laughs> it really depends on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Um, number four. Um... And I don't think anyone should try to read into that question or answer. Uh, Number four. (laughs) If you had the ability to change just one thing about Scientology, what would it be? Disconnection. Okay. Very good. Number five. Are you into sports, books, or something else? What do you think? Um, Books for sure. And okay. something else would be video games. Video games. We'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> Number six. 
What's the most recent video game that caught your eye? I just started uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Dragon Age Inquisition, okay. All right, I got, I got you. I see, I see where you're coming from. All right, number seven. True or false, in your opinion? True or false? Kirstie Alley knows what she does and is complicit. Oh, is it true or false? Um, I, I, I think false. I don't know. You think she's still just believing everything she's doing is right? I can only look at her through the same lens that I look at my own mother. Okay. Because my mother is so delusional and, and she believes it. Fair. Has she been shown things, your mother? No. I don't think uh, so. She wouldn't say so she hasn't even looked. I mean, that, that's to say that Kirstie Alley looked. But anyway, okay, no problem. Number eight, along the same lines. <laughs> I just, I like to have fun with this. Who in the world is Stacy Francis, and should I really care? Oh. I don't know who Stacy Francis is. I love that answer. It's perfect. And it's probably <laughs> true. <laughs> it's probably true. Okay. I have fun I with know. that. I feel like I... Should I know? Nah, she's 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 one of those Scientologists that's sort of almost a celebrity that was friends with Leah and talked trash about Leah. That's one of those things. Okay. I like to say, well, one who the hell she is anyway. Why does anyone care what she says? I don't know who she is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, number nine. Another which is more true for you? You should always look out for number one. Or should we all look out for each other? So look out for each other. Absolutely. And number ten, I always leave open. Is there anything else that's important that you think is important that you want to say? Something, a message you want to give to anyone out there, either family, friend, or just people um, on the fence? Um. I guess I want to say that I'm always thinking of other people and their children who have not been as lucky as I've been and are disconnected from their children because um, I don't, I don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't wallow in the might have been, could have been with my own children. I will always have tons of guilt and guilt and regret, but um, I know that I'm lucky to have them. And um, there are so many heartbreaking stories of parents who are disconnected from their own children because they left. Yeah. yeah. And I want to say just uh, from the aspect of people in the fence, like I just recently did a conversation with Elizabeth Gale about how, how, how scary it is to leave Scientology, to leave that, that security blanket or that false sense of security blanket. And that, that – yeah. Good things do happen, and if you're ever worried about how you're going to be received, regardless of anything you might have said or done within, you know, your father's a perfect example. People are waiting to help and will welcome you with open arms when you leave. I think that's an important message Absolutely. That even your story tells there. All Absolutely. Right. Yeah, there's a whole army of people waiting to help. Absolutely. Well, I am so glad that you decided to come on my show. I'm proud to know you, proud to have you on and talk to you. 
Yeah, thank you very much. I I, I enjoyed most of it. <laughs> most of it. I'm sorry. Some of it's impossible to enjoy. You know. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Oh, Go ahead. Okay. I, I I no. I was just saying I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, you take care and thanks again. You too. Talk. You've been listening to Come Get Some Extra. As always, stay connected. Danabelle sums it up. See you next time, everybody.